0: you, but what a a joy, here it is, we've been together already this morning, and we've been able to sing together, we've been able to give together, partake of communion, what a tremendous opportunity to worship together, it's exciting, and now we have the privilege of opening God's word and continuing our worship. Uh, It doesn't get any better than this other than being with the Lord, (laughs) it really doesn't. But I know we've been sitting for a while again, not to make you go up and down like a yo-yo, but I think it's good to get the oxygen flowing again. And why don't we stand as I read our text to us this morning, we prepare for the study of God's word. We're in, we did get there folks, we're in chapter five, we're in the last chapter of 1 Peter, it's exciting we're, as we progressed along. We're in chapter five today, I want to read the first four verses to us. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness nor yet as lording it over those attended to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I just counted the joy to be with these folks today, to be able to worship you uh, in our spirit and truth, to be able to do it through song, through giving, just through fellowshipping one another, and then, Father, to be reminded of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and who we belong to and our relationship with one another. Father, it is so difficult as we go through the circumstances of life. We are tossed to and fro by circumstances, by our own personalities, own failures. How we love you and thank you for your grace. We thank you for the word of God now and the privilege that we have not to just come and do some religious activity, but have the privilege to open the Bible, to study it together, to learn together, and to grow. And I pray that you just implant your word in our heart and help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Commit junior church to you right now and all the teachers and, and children and pray that you'd richly bless them as well. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. God's team of assistants have entitled this morning's message. Why? As we come to chapter 5, and I've studied chapter 5 many times, and I'm sure, knowing this assembly, many of you have. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why just introduce elders now? Why in this text? As we've been going through 1 Peter... Is it just a change, there's a a word therefore, we'll get to that, but there's a word therefore, and is it just a random change of direction where Peter's been talking and all of a sudden he just throws in elders? There are some um, that believe that this section has no relationship really whatsoever to the rest of the epistle, and that the letter really ended in chapter 4, And then as you get into chapter 5, he now concentrates and shifts it over to the elders. And it's just kind of a random thought. In fact, many times I've seen people, and I've done it myself, teach on eldership. We go to this chapter in chapter 5 and never consider what it's involved. Is this really the end of the epistle? I don't think so. I think it's a continuation. And let me show you why in my studies I believe that he's just continuing in his message. In verse 1, you'll notice that Peter refers to, I'm going to do this quickly, he refers to in verse 1 that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. When you come to verse 8, sorry, 7 of the context, we see in the context something very well known to you. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. A verse that's many times been taken out of context. But he's been talking about suffering. Now he talks about your cares being cast on him. When you come to verse 8, he comes to be sober, be of a sober spirit, be on the alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that pertains to you and me, by the way. He is seeking to devour you and to devour me. That sounds like suffering still continuing. By the time you come to verse 9, notice what he says. He's winding down the epistle. He says, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences, watch this, of suffering. When you go to verse 10, you notice what he says. After you have suffered a little while. I think the point's been made. If you've been with me as we've been studying this epistle, I don't think he's changing direction at all. I think he has another thought that's coming in but he's still dealing with the same thing that he started in chapter 1 verse 1 and he's continuing on what is that christians were suffering and as believers we've said it over and over again we concluded again last week that if you live for jesus christ you will suffer persecution there is no two ways about it it isn't just i'll believe in the lord jesus christ and then my life is supposed to be wonderful well it is wonderful beyond belief but it involves suffering in many ways shapes of form and he's been teaching that he's been showing that the people need help in this suffering and Peter's been addressing that and as he's been addressing it the people that he's writing to need help from other people and they need examples that they can follow they need examples because they're going through some real circum- circumstances of life that were difficult They need encouragement, not just encouragement by Peter's word, but they need encouragement, practical encouragement that they can see and that they can witness and are examples to them. Well, we could say the same today. Don't we need examples for us? Don't we need encouragement like that that's practical? The answer is yes. Now we can look at some biblical examples, can we not? By the way, Peter could have. These disciples of Christ could have done that. Let me give you some examples. Moses, these people are tremendous encouragement to me. Moses, Joseph, Job of the Old Testament, David, and all that he went through. How about Daniel? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How about Esther when her life was on the line? How about we move to the New Testament? How about the Apostle Paul? How about Timothy? How about Stephen when he was dying? How about Peter himself who's writing this epistle? There are endless, aren't there, examples that we can look to in the scriptures uh, that are there for us. Yes, that is true. However, they aren't here. We can read about them, and we can learn, and we can be encouraged, and we can go on. And even with Peter, as he's writing to them, why didn't he just focus on himself and end it there? Because Peter would die also, and he would not no longer be around, and that is true at every gen- generation. Well, you, then you say, "Okay, that's fine. Peter are gone; they're gone. We can be encouraged." But we have examples certainly around us today, don't we? Have contemporary people are afraid of that word. I'm not. Contemporary renowned Christian leaders today, sure we do. And you probably have more than I, and you'll excuse me if I just name some names and and uh, you get offended by one and not offended by another. That's not the intent, so please don't miss that. But we do have contemporary people around today that people are listening to. Dr. Jeremiah, John MacArthur, Al Mola, Dr. Whitcomb, Mark Dever, Steve Lawson, Charles Stanley, Swindoll, Sproul. I could go on. Aren't they around today, and can't we look to them and be encouraged and and see examples and want to learn? The answer is yes. But there's still a problem. What's the problem? They may be good, and they are in many situations. And the ones from the scriptures are good, and they are. And we can look at their writings. Certainly we have the scriptures and certainly some of the men that I've mentioned, we have their writings, and, or we can listen to them and watch a DVD, and that can be helpful to us. But there's still a problem. What is the problem? Number one, let me give you just two things, and there's others, but I'll give you two quickies. One, they are not readily available. I can't go to Moses this afternoon and say, Moses, I gotta, can I sit down with you? I'd love to do it. Above all, obviously, I'd love to turn around to Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know, let's chalk my afternoon schedule. Can I have some time? Yeah? Wouldn't you love that? Can't, wouldn't you love to do that with Shadrach, Meshach, and minute, or Job, and really sit down with him? And even some of these men, uh, maybe you think so, but uh, try calling up John MacArthur this afternoon. See what happens. I want to have a meeting at 4 o'clock. And if you don't like John MacArthur, Charles Stanley, you know, Sproul, whoever you want, call him up. I want to have a meeting at 2 o'clock with you. They're not readily available. Second problem is, not only are they not readily available, guess what? They're going to die. They're going to die. So how is that going to help the next generation? They're going to die off. And then people in the next generation will have their writings and be able to refer to them and they'll be encouraged, but they can't talk with them. And that is true for every generation that comes. And you know what? I want you to see this. God knew that. God knew that. He knew that Moses would be around for us always. He knew that Job would be around for us always. He knew that there would be some men that were available to us always or that would be in our current generation or contemporary, if you will, that we could be encouraged by. But he knew something greater, that while that was true, there was a need, an absolute need, and we need to get this, To have local leaders in every generation. To have people that are local. That are there. That we can go to now. That we can talk with now. In every single generation. And if the Lord tarries long after, we're gone. Because Christ will continue to build his church. And there is a place for it. And I say that, why? I'm well aware of the contemporary times. Today, there is a good movement on not having leadership. Just meeting in local homes and we'll have a wonderful time because all we need to concentrate is on praising the Lord. That is unbiblical. God designed it for leadership. And he knew that every generation needed practical people that were leaders spiritual leaders so that everybody wouldn't just go chaotic and this text begins to address that why in the midst of suffering in the midst of this suffering in the midst of all the encouragement that Peter has been giving to these people he knows that these people were suffering and he knows that they needed people who understood that could help with it, could care for them, and could help guide them through Satan's attacks, could guide them through circumstances and even suffering that was going on. They needed someone in every local assembly, in every generation, that would be available to them. And so in this text, as he continues on with suffering, and I'll give you my outline for those four verses, he gives the team of assistants... He gives the task for the assistants. He then gives them the course of action that they are to take and the motivation for these leaders. So who are they? Let's address it. He shows us that in a team of, that in every generation, there is a team of leaders. There's a team of assistants, and they're found in verse 1. Let's look at it. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder in witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that that is to be revealed. He exhorts them. He compels them. I won't spend a lot of time on that word. But it is the idea he comes alongside of them. And by the way, there is debate over that first word, therefore, in conclusion. I'm not going to deal with that other than to say I think it's there because he's concluding, you know, you've you've got all these situations. I'm still talking about sufferings. And by the way, there are our leaders there that he's going to be dealing with. So he exhorts the leaders to come aside. When I say leaders, you'll see why. He identifies who these leaders are. Who are they? Right there. Elders. It's plural. Very simple. It is a team of assistants. This is not a one-man show. This should never be a one-man show. If it is, then the person that goes to the grave is going to really regret it. That was in that position. The, when, when it comes time to stand before Christ. The idea that God has designed right from the get-go. Every time that word is used in its context, when it's dealing with leadership, it is in the plural. It is not singular. It's plural. He has a team of leaders, and the team of leaders is called elders. Now, there's a number of different terms. I don't want to spend a lot of time because this text doesn't deal with it all. But I would just want you to understand it. This is the word word that comes from the word presbytas uh, and that type of thing, presbyterus. And that's where we get our word presbyterian. That comes from this word, and it's usually translated elder. There's another one called episkopos. That's where you, and again, it's derivatives. But that's where you get the term that we know as episcopal. That's where that comes from. And the English word is the word bishop. So sometimes in our translations, we see the word elders, Sometimes we see the word bishops, that's where it comes from, and usually people associate that with the Roman Catholic Church, etc. And there's also another one, ponmean, which is pastor or shepherd. And those are the terms that are used for the leadership. Now, when you come to this term that's used here as elder, and I don't want to take the time to show you that there's places in the text that interchange you because it'll take away from our text here this morning. But as we deal with this word, It has, without question, the concept of older. It has, without question, the concept of maturity. And it can be translated simply just to mean something to do with age. And I want to just show you just one example this morning. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Keep your finger right here. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there was a lot going on early in the early church. And when you come to verse 17, there's a quote that goes to the book of Joel. And it says, "And it shall be in the last days," God says, verse 17, "that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and on your sons and on your daughters, and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall be vision shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams." There is no question with that quotation coming from Joel. That he's simply dealing with age, young men, old men, and so forth, and that's all it's dealing with. It's not dealing with a position, and it can be translated that way in Scripture. It can be translated simply to mean an older man. And by the way, some going back to First Peter, some feel that's exactly what he means when he's talking in First Peter chapter five, and I'll tell you why they do. If you look at verse five, let's go back to First Peter. It says, you younger men, likewise. And they'll use the contrast and say, it's only talking about older men. It's not talking about position at all because in verse five, it uses the word younger. That is one way it could be understood. But the second way it can be understood is referred to the leaders, to refer to the shepherds, to refer, refer to the, those that are involved in oversight. And I believe that the whole entire context of chapter five would have us translate it that way. It has the idea of age behind it or maturity, but he is dealing with officers, why? Because notice the terminology that he uses, and we'll go through it. He talks about shepherding the flock. He talks about having oversight of the flock. And then he talks about accountability to the chief shepherd. He's talking to a specific group, not just an older man. And so while there is that contrast, and we will deal with that later, Not today, but the younger men and then everybody in verse 5 forward. Right now, he's talking about, I believe in the context, still suffering. And he's talking about the ones that were to be the leaders, the ones that were to help the people, the ones that needed to be the guides for those that God entrusted to their care. So we're dealing with it as elders, as leaders, elders in a church. Now, he doesn't deal with the qualifications in this text, so I won't. But there are qualifications found in First Timothy, for example, and in Titus, and it's very important because today there are a lot of people that are doing right what I'm doing right now, and it's going on around the world right now. That pastors are standing in pulpits and teaching, and many of them are very good pastors and are called by God. But there's also many that are standing in pulpits that are people are looking up to that are unqualified to be standing in the pulpit. They shouldn't be there. Why? Because they don't meet the qualifications as identified in Timothy and Titus, and churches just want somebody that's a nice personality or that can entertain them or can make them feel good when they leave church. You're going to see that the responsibility of a shepherd, one of the things is a shepherd, and that involves teaching and feeding the flock. But well, I won't deal with that, but I want you to see this. He's dealing then, what we're saying, with the leaders in a, watch, local church. How do you know that? Look. He says, I exhort... The elders, now the next term, I consulted a lot of commentaries, a lot of very good commentaries, and I didn't find one that commented on these two words. But I'm going to comment on them. I exhort the elders among you. Why? I think that's important. That drives home the point that I was talking about. It's among you, it's local leadership. Those are the ones. You can't, you can't really go and have time with the other people. You can learn from them, but they're not going to be involved in your life as a local elder should be and can be. And Paul knew that. Peter knew that. And that is why, as you find in the book of Acts, Paul went around from church to church, and what did he do? He set elders in every church. When you come to the book of Titus, which was the last book that we studied, we saw that Titus was exhorted to get back to the business that you should be doing, and that is appoint elders. Why? Because among you, there needs to be leadership that is able to do the things that are required in here and that are available to you. Every church, until Christ comes back, in every age, by God's design, needs Elders who are mature, godly, exemplary leaders. That is needed. Godly, mature, exemplary leaders. And before we go any further, and I'll comment later, not flawless, but godly, mature, exemplary leaders. And that's who Peter's appealing to. Peter, in the midst of his suffering now, is appealing to, let's establish that, a team. Not a single individual, but a team of leaders that are local, and he appears to them. How does he appeal to them? Notice this in verse 1. Not as an apostle. Now, he started off the epistle that way, that he was an apostle, but he doesn't even speak on that level. He could have, but he doesn't. He he refers to them in a tender way that he is a fellow, number one, is three things. One is he's a fellow elder, just like they are. He is not, listen, this might shake a few people, but he's not the first pope. He wasn't the one that was to be the leader of some church organization. Peter is nothing more than just like them. A elder, a leader, that is to be one just like them. Why? Because Christ is the head of the church. No one else. No man, woman, our organization is ahead. Christ is the head of the church. And so he appeals to him on the same level as he's appealing to the elders. And he says that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now there's been a lot of debate about that, but I'll just make it very simple. Peter was a witness by seeing the sufferings of Christ, by proclaiming the sufferings of Christ both, and also by experiencing the sufferings of Christ. He experienced he experienced many of the things, just like the Apostle Paul did, and he also says that notice at the end it 's a partake he 's also a partake of the glory he is now, and he will be a partaker of the glory that is yet to be revealed. That kind of refers right back to verses twelve to fifteen that we just left off at remember i won 't go back and repeat them, but if you go back in that passage he 's talking about the incentive for us is that when Christ comes back, we're going to have reward, and he's beginning with judgments at the house of God. So who does he start with? He starts with the leadership. So they're part of a team, and we need to see him that way. And while, why should he appeal to them, the leaders now, in the midst of this book of suffering? Let me give you a couple of quick reasons a practical point of view, and then we'll deal with verse 2 forward. One of the reasons might be is they might ignore their responsibility. Why? The elders could be in a situation where they're just not shepherding. Now, I have yet to meet a church where people do not accuse the elders of not shepherding. But it is true that some may not be involved in shepherding. They're just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I'll give you a second reason. The reason he's appealing to the elders is they may have a tendency to give up. Why? Why? Because as a leader, you become in a fishbowl and become the guy that is most critically talked about. It is very easy to criticize because you know why? Peter wasn't perfect. Did you ever forget the fact that Peter, appearing as an elder, denied Christ? Peter deserted Christ? But see, we, we look at men today and that are in that position and we expect they will never fall, never get anything wrong and we're never going to let them go. And so what do you have? You have it constantly. You cannot imagine in the years that I've been here, Pastor Stringer's been here longer and in the ministry, but in the years that I've been in the ministry, and I would say even just I'm amazed at what's happened even in the last two years, the amount of phone calls that I've gotten and people that I've talked to that have quit the ministry, and many of them have quit because they can't take it anymore. They just had it. They don't want to shepherd people anymore. Because while they're trying to love them, they're being basically torn to shreds. And so they give up. So he's appealing to them because I I would give you one practical reason is they might not be doing their job. Secondly, they might want to give up. And the third reason that I would give you from a practical point of view that I've experienced in discussing with men is because they look at their own weakness and failure. And basically browbeat themselves. And rather than focus on what God's called them to do, they again walk away. Because they just say, I can't do it. Almost like Moses started. Remember? I can't do this job. That's good humility. But if God's called you to do it, you've got to do it. And you want to do it. So who's he referring to? He's referring to the elders. And he's going to give them charge. And here's what he tells them. And he's dealing with it in a local assembly. And... Our elders here. We all need to pay attention. What is their task? Chapter two, verse uh, chapter five, verse two. Excuse me, first part. Here's the task: shepherd. There it is. What is that? Tend to the flock. That's what it means. It's not a complicated term. Tend to the flock. That involves a lot of things. That involves feeding the flock. That involves taking them out to pasture so that they get good food and not something that's going to harm them. It talks about the concept of shepherding is to protect the flock, protect them from themselves, protect them from others that might come and hurt, to care for them, those that are wounded, those that are having difficulty, to be there to tend, to try to help those wounds, to lead them, to lead them in the green pastures, to lead them by example, as we'll see. To guide them. Isn't it interesting that he says to them, I want you as local leaders to what? Shepherd. Feed them. And by the way, any pastor, any elder, that's what they should be doing. Shepherding. And I'll tell you who in a minute. But to be shepherding. Not just playing church. Not just looking at a position. No one should ever turn around and say, Hey, I just can't wait till I can become an elder because I want that title. You know what? Don't ever become an elder. Because you better have a heart for the people. Better have a heart for shepherd. Where do you think Peter got that idea? Let me give you one suggestion in my studies. Go back. Keep your finger here. Just one quickie. Go to John 21. In John 21, I'll go right to it. Verse 16. This was after Peter had denied the Lord. The Lord's resurrected. He sees him. And what happens? Verse 16 of chapter 21. Verse 16. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know I love you. This is the second time. What did he say to him? What did he say? Shepherd. Shepherd my sheep. If you love me, this is how I want to see it. Shepherd my sheep we need to shepherd and now he's exhorting the elders in a local church you see Peter can't always be there these other bible figures can't be there but locally right with the people in among the people are more sheep but they are leaders of the sheep too and they're called shepherds and why do they need shepherding I can tell you why because sheep have a tendency to wander Ship, sheep have a tendency to drift Sheep have a tendency to be scared when something comes along that might frighten them. To be quite frank about it, and we're all sheep, I'm including myself, we're not too bright. Sheep aren't the brightest animals in the world. Also, they can get confused by what comes their way, and if they don't have the right guidance, just not know where to go. So they need shepherds, and God knows that. But I want you to catch this. In giving them the task, he says to shepherd, but notice this in verse 2. Shepherd who? The flock of God. This is not the shepherd's flock in the sense of theirs. Fellowship Bible Church is not Pastor Dan's church. Neither is it Pastor string's even if he was the founder. It's not. It's not. Al Spire's church. It's not Pastor Chris's church. It's not Camille's church. It is not. It is the church of God. And the elders are going to stand responsible in answering to the chief shepherd, as we will see. It is God's flock. Very important to understand. The ownership of the flock is God. And it's been committed to these shepherds. That's why I started with the title. It's a team of assistants. Shepherds are, elders are simply. Assistance of God. When we, when I took one of the groups over from our church over to, um, it wasn't the Israel trip, but uh, to the footsteps of Paul, some of you remember this because you're on the trip. Uh, I've seen a number of shepherds over the years, but in one particular time that we went, we were in Colossae, if some of you remember now, and we really had a wonderful time. There was a shepherd there with sheep, and some of us took our picture with him. We had a chance to talk to him. And it was wonderful. We couldn't really communicate too well. But those were not his sheep. In fact, one of the things we learned from him was that he would take those sheep back. And then it was another place that he would go. And he would take another set of sheep out. And he was responsible, but they weren't his. That's just practical visual aid. And as elders, there's people put into our trust. And I want you to notice that what he says. First of all, it's God's ownership. But notice again what he says. Among you. It's the flock of God among you. Now, I want this to be put for all the elders and for you who are also sitting in this assembly today. I want you to notice that the shepherding should be happening with the flock that God has given. Too many shepherds are spending little time with this flock and are shepherding everybody else outside of the local assembly. It's not God's design. I want you to catch this. Notice in verse 3. We'll get to the not lording over them. Watch this. Those allotted to your charge. It is God's design. You are not in this church because it's a mistake if you're attending here. You know why you're here? Because that is part of where God wants you, and you have been allotted to the care of the shepherds, under shepherds in this church. And so even I, myself, and the other elders city, we need to understand that, you know what, let's be honest with ourselves. Let me start with myself. There are difficult pastors. There are people that are just a pain. There are people that sometimes have a bad attitude. There are people who sometimes are so aggressive. There are people who sometimes I just don't know where they are. They're too busy. Is that being fair with myself? Everybody said, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And all the other things that are wrong with me. Okay, there are shepherds that are like that. But you know what? Sometimes the sheep are worse. And sometimes with the sheep, honestly, they're very difficult. And you wonder, why in the world is that person? I, you know, I did not want to pay attention to that person. Listen, elders. Everyone that God's entrusted to our care, we had better be shepherding. It doesn't matter what their personality is. It doesn't matter how difficult the sheep are. We have a responsibility to shepherd And to care And sometimes you know there's the concept Of I just wish they'd go into I'll be honest with you that happened to me one time But I want you to give the context I called up another pastor I do that Someone left this church and I called up another pastor And I said I want you to be aware of the situation And whatever And because they're now attending your church And the pastor basically saw me as the problem And said yeah, no, I don't see any problem And you know, what's the, what's the real difficulty here? And I brought them back to the scriptures, and I said, this person's been involved in sin, da-da-da-da, and whatever. And the pastor said, well, I don't see it that way. And I said, fine. And I did say this. I said, I've shepherded as much as I can. My shepherding's done. I want you to know that you're going to stand before God. You are now shepherding that person. Those are my exact words. And we that person's never been back to this church. And that person did get involved in some other things, that that person's shepherding. And... Why am I saying that? I can only shepherd those under my care. And there are some very difficult situations, but it doesn't matter. We have a responsibility because God's allotted them, and it's God's flock, and that's what makes the joy of a local assembly. We have shepherds that are here, and we have sheep that are here, and we ought to be working together in this local assembly. If God wants us someplace else, he'll move us along. So each one that God sends here is from God. And then... God's sheep, uh, you notice this, need shepherds that have a heart like his. Why? Because he's the good shepherd. And the sheep will not only suffer, but so will the shepherds. And here's what he says. The course of action is found in verses 2 and 3. Uh, the method or the manner, if you will, um, so he doesn't just tell them the shepherd. He shows them how to do it. And it's a series of negatives and positives. The first thing, notice what he says, though. He says, exercise oversight. Take the responsibility. Don't let someone in a local church have you not take the responsibility because of criticism. Take that responsibility. Some may not like it. Remember Moses? I brought him up, so I'll use him. Even Aaron and Miriam complained about him, and they ended up, she ended up with leprosy. Remember, and he, and the Lord had to correct that because of the graciousness of Moses. But that happens. Many times the sheep will not like what the shepherd's doing because they don't even understand the nature of it. And they'll complain against them. You look throughout all of the Old Testament and into the New, and you will find Tom, time and time again Paul's defending himself, Peter's defending himself. David's defending himself and running for his life. Moses, and on and on it goes. Why? Because those entrusted to them normally are complaining about them. But he says, nevertheless, take the charge. Exercise the oversight. Be a man. Take your responsibility. And then he gives these negatives and positives, and here they are quickly. He says, not, here's the things to avoid, and here's the things to do. Not under compulsion. Not because you're forced to, in other words. Not because I have to. An elder should never serve that way. Or not because I've been appointed to the position. Or I guess I must. Not half-heartedly. Not lazily. That's the idea. How should we do it? Cheerfully. That's what he means when he says voluntarily. I won't turn you because time's getting away. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you get an idea of this. He says, if you're going to give, don't give grudgingly. Give cheerfully. That's the word that's used here. An elder should be serving not because he has to, but because cheerfully he desires to do that. Why? Because he's there to please God, not even to please the sheep. He's going to shepherd the flock of God that's among them, exercising the oversight, not of compulsion, but voluntarily. Why? According to the will of God. And every elder, and I charge the elders here or any church, need to keep that in focus you need to please God and not the people. You need to keep your focus on God and do the shepherding that has to be done no matter how comfortable it is or uncomfortable. Then he says not for sordid gain. Now that may seem strange, honestly, today uh, because I don't know of a lot of situations where pastors go into ministry because they want to get rich and you say many, there are some. There's a lot of people on TV, I'm being honest with you, And there's a lot of people that are national figures. The only reason they're, quote, unquote, in the ministry is they are making millions. And they are taking people's money. Now, you say, why in the context would this come up? I want you to understand the context here. You need to remember that employment in Bible days was very difficult, that many people didn't have jobs. And people were in these positions, shepherding, and while these people had little jobs, they were obligated to pay for them. Over and over again, if you were to look at Corinthians as a good example, but over and over again, same thing in Romans, you would see that they are charged to give generously and to pay those that work for you. They're worthy of it. And those that labor in the word are worthy of double. And so you had sacrificial people that were suffering that didn't have a lot, and they're given the responsibility to take care of these shepherds and then you had shepherds who would be going in for it and say, hey, this is a great way to get some money. And that would be really the context of it. And if you don't think so, remember Eli, Eli's sons back in the Old Testament? They were taking the best of the food and everything else, and, and, and the people were suffering. So people may go in the, for the, the ministry for gain. That is not the way to do it. And literally the term means gaining money dishonestly. And there are many that do that. And unfortunately, you pick up your papers and you find this one's getting embezzled, uh, being going to prison for embezzlement and this, that, and the other thing. Don't do that. Why? What are they to do? They're to do it with excitement. Eagerness. Excitement. Why? Because of the high position in, in Christ. That's why. Not for the money. I'll be frank about it. And I can with you as a congregation. Some of you know me. Some of you don't. You don't know my background. But why in the world? I was actually challenged with that by my own family and by my own boss. Before I went into the ministry, I was working for a CPA firm. I was a manager with a CPA firm. And he said, you're crazy. My own family said, you're not going to be able to have any money. And my Linda side of the family said, how are you going to provide for your family? I didn't go into the ministry to make money. I took a substantial pay cut to do it. That's a fact. You don't go into the ministry for that. If you go into the ministry to make money, the flock is in trouble, and so are you. So no, you don't want that. You want to do it because you want to love it. And then I need to get to this. Not lording over. Not being oppressive. Not being demanding. Where you've got to do this, you've got to do that. But what? Being examples. Now, how are the examples? Sometimes the flock thinks an example is to be flawless, That's not a requirement of an elder. Or to be sinless. If you're looking for that, the only one you're going to find is Christ. What does it mean to be an example? They have a pattern that you can hold up to? Do they have a life where you can see that they study the word of God themselves? That they know the word of God? That they do suffer circumstances and even in the suffering, they stand up and hold up and continue on? in the things of Christ and they don't run away? Do they have families that they can guide and in their families, their families are seeming to be ones that are taught the word of God and are exemplary? Because if you can't manage your own household, and I'm standing here before some of my family. If you can't manage your own household and they can't be an example, how can you be an example? That's what he says. That's being an example. Uh, it's a situation where they don't give up when being falsely accused. And that goes out through the ministry of Paul and Peter. That's what an example is, that they can take accusations, they can take hits, and no matter what, they're still going to stand for the truth of the word of God and continuing shepherding even those who don't love them. So that if a phone call happens and it's someone that they know attacked them, they will be ready to respond and visit and be there. That's what the people needed. The people needed, they were suffering. They needed to see someone who suffered. They understood losses in the family. They understood physical problems. They understood being accused falsely. Isn't that what he talked about in the, the scriptures? When you have a boss that accuses you of something and you didn't do it, still you ought to love them and you're to be an example to them. Well, that's the way leadership's to be. That's what elders are called to do. Be an example. That's why you need it locally. And that's why the body's to function. And I got to close with this. The motivation is verse 4. So the motivation for elders is verse 4. What is that? That you're going to answer to the chief shepherd. Do you know, let me put it very bluntly to you, the elders of Fellowship Bible Church, do you know, speaking to the elders, that you will be accountable for the flock here? Do you know one of the reasons you ought to be upholding? the elders of this church in prayer and being an encouragement and looking any way you can to lift them up because whether you like it or realize it or not, they are caring for your souls. They're not interested in pleasing you. They're interested in shepherding you. They're interested in trying to keep you on the path. Why do we preach the word the way we do? Because you need good food. Why do elders go and visit because they're trying to care. Why do they get on the phone when criticized and still try to call someone up? Because they're ready to face that. and It doesn't matter. And we, we will answer to God. And that's what it says. Hebrews has that. I don't have it. Who's the chief shepherd? Well, you know who the good shepherd is. Most of you know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The greatest shepherd is God. All an elder is is a member of the body of Christ that is called to be an assistant to God to help oversee currently the flock that's been entrusted to him. So elders, starting with myself, I charge myself to take a good look at how we're shepherding. And we fail. These elders of this church have failed this church from time to time. But I can tell you standing here with these men sitting in front of me, they're godly men who will confess, will deal with it, and will continue on shepherding the best they can as God guides. And this flock, you are the ones that have been entrusted to the care. And we ought to love one another. We ought to uphold one another. And this came up recently in a conversation I had for somebody, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, but it was a situation where I've shared that when I've gone to other countries, one of the respects that you see in other countries is for leadership. Almost every mission field I've ever visited... I was shocked when they heard I was a pastor of how immediately there was respect. In America, they hear pastor and even churches, and it's lack of respect. We need to respect the shepherds that God's entrusted. In fact, I didn't deal with that, but God charges you in Thessalonians, you better know them and you better submit to them. That's what God says. For your benefit. So pray for your elders, and elders take it seriously. We are God's local assembly here. There are elders that are appointed to other assemblies. It's not our job to shepherd them. We've got all we can do to shepherd this flock, but it's the flock that God wants us to shepherd. And you're part of the flock. Let's lift God's word and lift God's name together. Went a little bit over. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the patience of these folks today. Thank you for the fact that by your design, you knew in every generation that there would be a need for under shepherds. There would be need for assistance to continue shepherding the people because we all face the roaring lion of the devil. We face our own flesh. We want to wander. And I pray, Father, and thank you that in your design you gave us shepherds. And I thank you that you've given us men here I thank you for the elders of Fellowship Bible Church. They're not perfect. They're not flawless. But they're the men that you've given us, and I thank you for each one of them. I thank you for Pastor Stringer and his founding, and I thank you for all the elders who have served. And we pray, Father, you'd encourage the elders and help them to shepherd well and help the flock to see the importance of building up the body and submitting to the leadership and being a part of this flock that you've entrusted. Guide us now in the remainder of the day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I would suggest this that I. Uh, uh...